Exploring Chiropractic, Episode 45, Dynamic Disc Designs with Dr. Jerome Fryer. So then, yeah, I just started to play. I first just cut out a chunk of foam and stuck it in some water and and just put it in between two vertebrae and it would just, you know, it would just leak. And, and then so I thought, you know, I didn't know, I, you know, this is looking pretty hokey. Welcome back to another episode of Exploring Chiropractic. I'm your host, Dr. Nathan Cashin. Glad to say I'm back for a second episode after my hiatus. Thanks for joining me once again. And I appreciate the feedback I've gotten from my previous episode with Dr. Brandy Nemchenko. A lot of great comments on Facebook and uh, engagement on my social feeds. If you enjoyed it, if you listened to it, please drop me a line and let me know what you thought of it. Um, Send me an email, contact at exploringchiropractic.com. Uh, there's a contact form on the website, exploringchiropractic.com, and of course, at Exploring Cairo on all of the social media channels. And I would especially appreciate it if you would head over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review, leave a comment, give it four or five stars, give me some feedback if there's something I can do better. But I really appreciate hearing from those of you who are listening. In this second episode, uh, back from my break, I've interviewed Dr. Jerome Fryer, who is the founder and creator of Dynamic Disc Models. Uh, these are amazing anatomical models that show um, dynamically the lumbar disc, um, whether it's stenosis or herniations, nerve impingement. Great tools for education of patients in your practice. But we talk about um, his background and how he got started, and it really was his um, uh, initial practice that was kind of slow in a very small town that got him tinkering with these types of educational models uh, and led to a full side business. Um, he's done some really interesting research on lumbar discs as well as cavitation, kind of a landmark study with Dr. Greg Kochuk. Um, and just really a fun conversation. You'll, uh, uh, hear a little bit about the incredible decoration he has in his office. So I hope you really enjoy this interview with Dr. Jerome Fryer. My guest today is Dr. Jerome Fryer, the creator and designer of Dynamic Disc Designs. Dr. Fryer, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm loving the background that you have in your office. What's going on there? Well... There's a little snow. We had some snow last night, uh, about a foot of snow. You're in BC, is, right? British Columbia? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Vancouver Island. Oh, yeah. on the, uh, nice. Yeah. We Very don't, nice. we don't get a whole bunch of this. Uh, I hear this so, poor the vortex is coming your way though. So you may get a little bit more. <laughs> and that's great. It's fun. We, we enjoy it when it's here. Right. Um, and then this here, any ideas? Well, you've given me some hints, but okay. definitely some vertebrae of a large animal. Yes. Yeah, so these are real vertebrae that are suspended above the, I don't know if you can see the treatment table. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And so I had these suspended, kind of go, right. Uh, they were donated to me by fishermen. Oh my when gosh. I worked on the West coast in Tofino and Yuclulet. And uh, I was fixing up his his back and and um, and his leg pain, and I asked him. I said, you know, do you know where I can get some whale vertebrae? And I wasn't even sure if I was allowed to have whale vertebrae, yeah, or yeah, whether yeah. he was allowed to. Like, you know, I didn't know the legalities around that. And he said, Ah, Jerome, just come by my place. And so I went by his place and he picked me up at the bottom of the ocean about 40 kilometers off of the uh, off of Tofino, dragnet fishermen. So, you know, they dragged the bottom, right? And they picked he picked up these these bones and he put them in his yard for landscaping. And um, and I, I was like a, it was like a kid in an Easter egg hunt. You know, all the you know, he'd let it go. He put it in his yard for landscaping and all the bushes okay. and blackberries, and I was crawling around and I was so anyway, so I Wow. Then it was a pro. It was quite the process to get them up here. That's for sure, right? Yeah. So how thing, how heavy are each of those about? Well, they were about eighty pound, eighty five pounds each. Oh my gosh! But after cleaning them, uh, they're down to about thirty five now. 
is that just dirt and sediment or is that actually cleaning off some of the old cartilage and bone? Yeah, I don't know. Right. I didn't take it to the lab and have a okay. look. You know, you just but scrubbed sure, it I don't think it was dirt. Uh, it may be a little bit of dirt in there, but uh, uh, I think it was just biological matter. Let's say that. Okay, sure. Any of your patients uh, feel uneasy lying on the table underneath those? Oh, sometimes, right? They ask me, they, you know, like, how heavy are those, right? And, yeah. And I'll say, oh, you know, they're 35 pounds each. We To test them, we just swung on them like monkeys, right? To Did make you? Sure. <laughs> oh, yeah. They're, they're, it's over. It's an overkill for uh, engineering. They, wow, they that's support. amazing. It's a three-cable system, so okay. three-cable system can sustain about – 850 pounds. Nice. Nice. So we're good. Right. That's, I know that was my main concern. Cool. Are they going to be scared? Right. You know, right. But go for it. Yeah. The, the visual is pretty neat when you're looking straight up. Very cool. Yeah. I love that. All right. Well, you're a chiropractor in British Columbia, as well as, as mentioned, the founder of uh, dynamic disc designs, which we're going to talk about quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but before you get into that, let's get some background and, and what, uh, when you were a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? I had no idea. No idea, yeah. fireman, I, cookie monster, anything like that? You know, that's an evolving question, right? I still don't really know what I want to be when I grow up. I, yeah, I totally I'd like get to that. Be, right? I'd like to yeah. to create a positive influence, but to, you know, it, 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 what vehicle? Who knows, right? Right. You know? So I I don't know. I like to, I like to play with, you know, I, I was into mechanics, I really enjoy mechanics, okay. taking apart my, you know, my Mustang and putting it back together and taking it apart and putting it back together. Just, uh, you know, learning how everything works. Uh, I was always creative, try to be creative. Uh, but yeah, I, I didn't know. I knew, you know, I wanted to do something positive, you know, something positive on this planet, whether it was for the environment or for health, you know, that's kind of, so, you know, besides that I had, no, I don't know. I was just, I was just just into Star Wars, you know. So then, how did you how did you get into chiropractic? I mean, they didn't have any in in the galaxy of Star Wars in that <laughs> in that universe. No, uh, so you know, traveled through uh, you know UBC uh, Health Sciences, and. Um, I got a degree in biopsychology, Bachelor of Science in Biopsych, which is, and then I was kind of, you know, do I want to do this medicine thing, right? Do I really want to go down that path? You know, my, my grades were good enough. Um, you know, I don't think I would have got into some of the top medical schools, but I think they were good enough. And, uh, but I just, I, it's the it's the influence of pharma in medicine that just sure. it's just you know a little biased and I was you know if I'm providing health services or health care for my you know my fellow man or woman you've got to you got to be unbiased right as best you can so I just backed off and then I just started to explore other other channels other you know um, other health professions you know naturopathy. Mm-hmm. podiatry uh you know uh, optometry and then i was i didn't know much about chiropractic to be quite honest i didn't know much about it at all and i and then when i started to investigate a little bit i thought it was a little bit it was a little soft around the edges you know okay, i was more yeah, of a science-based yeah. kind of guy i was like some of the claims i was like are we sure you know are you you know so what were some of those early claims that made you well, kind of wonder? I mean, was it just this? Were you exposed well, to the philosophy, the you know, the traditional? Yeah, philosophy, I was. Or? Yeah, I, I was. There was a wonderful chiropractor in Abbotsford that sent me to a conference, and I watched uh, Guy Reekman yeah, at okay. a conference. Sure. Heavy and philosophy, yeah. It was, you know, and and I thought, wow, this is pretty exciting. What's everybody excited about? I don't, you know. So I, you know, so I went to be a thought, well, I better be a patient. I didn't have any back pain or neck pain. I was a, a sports guy. So I was physically pretty good shape. Didn't have any problems. Um, so 
I remember one of the first things when, you know, they did an assessment, checked my range of motion. I was all proud of it. Going, well, it's all range of motion. You're not going to find anything wrong with me, right? And, uh, <laughs> and uh, so he went to manipulate my back, uh, you know, supine adjusting, you know, traditional kind of thoracic adjustment. You could see, and he was putting quite a bit of sort of effort into trying to make my back pop. And he was reasonably successful with some of the vectors and forces. But sometimes he <clears throat> and nothing would happen. And I kind of uh -huh. thought, well, you're probably your intent was to try to make my back crack. But you weren't successful there, but you were successful in other regions. And I just I asked him, you know, where's that noise coming from? You know, where, where's that okay. actual sound coming from? What's the mechanism? And he told me it was a, it was a cavitation. It was a collapsing bubble. So that was kind of was like, hmm. So that was one of you asked me, you know, what made me kind of question is this the, like, what is chiropractic? Where mm -hmm. do we get our roots from? And do we understand the basic sciences around what we're doing? Right, right. I don't know that we do still, but we'll talk more about that because <laughs> you've done some interesting research around around just that. Um, so that was enough to spark your curiosity to say, OK, this is what I want to do. I mean, it sounds like you were a little bit disappointed in that first treatment. Oh, no, I wasn't disappointed at all. I just okay. knew you could build on it, right? Okay, sure, it's, sure. There's... What, he, what he was doing, it was, it was successful. It was nothing about, you know, it was about um, nothing about being disappointed because I, did, I had nothing to be disappointed about. <laughs> <laughs> I had low expectations at the beginning, okay. Right, so yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I just, I always wanted to see what it was like to be a chiropractor. Uh -huh. You know, what is day-to-day job and it was physical it was kind of you know yeah so then i began to explore different chiropractic universities uh colleges and i um uh yeah you know university of western states is about five hours from vancouver so i thought okay so cmcc western states let's mm -hmm. explore them too so started to do, you know, started to investigate and uh, and I knew somebody that was actually about halfway through the, um, you know, the curriculum at Western State. So I conversed with him and, you know, I was getting on a little bit. It was like, uh, you know, seven years out of you. Uh, yeah. From grade 12. Right. So I was like, OK, I better get going here, right? I got to do something. I can't just already in your mid twenties. Sure, I got to. Yeah, let's go, right? Let's go. So I I explored and uh, I thought, okay, you know what? This is the I, I felt like it was the most science based chiropractic university, evidence based that you know that was close, and it's right. also about two hours away from surfing. So I was like, okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. Let's go. So even at that time, so this was uh, towards the end of the uh, end of the nineties, right? When you went to chiropractic school, yeah. Um, and comparing Western states to CMCC at the time, you felt that Western states was even more scientific, and mm. uh, or were they pretty equal? Because now I would I would actually even say CMCC maybe is a little further. Uh, down that on on that spectrum of evidence based science compared to Western states, even. Yeah, I, you know, um, I, I don't know. All I, it's hard. You know, it's, you don't know until you get in and get going, right? So, yeah, it's hard to compare. Yeah, and I haven't yeah. actually been to CMCC. I just know a lot of people that graduated from there. So yeah. um, interesting. I'm just curious to to kind of get an idea of where things were at back then. Um, so Western states. You know, went through the program. Yeah. Um, good experience in general. Oh any yeah. Co any complaints? <laughs> no, no. Okay. It was it was the faculty that 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 I was thoroughly impressed with. You know. I'm sure yeah. you had a lot of the same professors that I did. Uh, Jim yes. Carollo. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Panzer. Yeah, Dr. Panzer. Panzer. Yeah, Brown. Yeah, I, for biochem. I, I mean. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah a lot of just. With with Dr. Panzer. I was lucky okay. enough to get in. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, that gives me a little insight into, into maybe how uh, discs became kind of a passion. He's, he's definitely very interested in, in uh, you know, herniations and disc degeneration and all that kind of stuff. So that's, that's interesting. So 
uh, coming out of school, uh, what did the, what did the path look like? I mean, what were you excited about? What did you have in mind for your, the future of your career? Well, I was excited about paying off student loans. That's kind of the first, thing. <laughs> <laughs> right? Let's see if I can make this actually work. Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's the biggest weight I think. Right? On our shoulders and then, when we come and out. to get great outcomes right, right out of the gates, okay. right. Try to see if you can get the best possible outcomes you can. And, uh, so yeah. And I got going a small little town in Euclid, uh, a small little town, Euclid, about 1800 people. Mm, that was yeah, it. Very small. Yeah. yeah wow. People kind of thought it was a little crazy going there, but I, you know, the surf was there too. Right. So I, and I was drawn to the, to the ocean for, it's just, it's always kind of calmed me. Right. It's always oh, been yeah. my place of, of, uh, relaxation and, and, uh, inspiration as well. Uh, yeah, so I got in, I got going, and uh, soon I uh, quickly developed a satellite clinic in Tofino, and uh, yeah, it was it was exciting. The community, both communities, just embraced us, um, my wife, and um, and our family. Yeah, and then about uh, seven years after, in we had children. And uh, it was time to get them to uh, a place where there were more resources for them, right? Uh, yeah. My, 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 my theme going into Euclid was I wanted to grow green kids. <laughs> but I realized, you know, they need, they need, uh, they need stuff. Just like what's <laughs> behind you, right? Like oh, I, I, this is embarrassing. No. Yeah, for those not. watching the movie. I mean, so I'm in South Dakota now and it's, um, I know probably about as cold today. It's it was minus four Fahrenheit, so yeah, it's tough to get the little kids out. So we've got this bouncy house in the basement here just to keep them entertained now and then. Um, not my not my decision, but it's been been handy. <laughs> so then, yeah, then we moved to Nanaimo, which is on the inside of Vancouver Island. Tofino's on the outside, wild open Pacific, and you come to the inside, and. Um, I started a practice and, uh, you know, I thought, all right, you know, I'm going to build a practice just as fast as I did in Euclid. And I just started solo. Like, you know, I encourage, okay. you know, young, young practitioners that are uh, trained well, believe in themselves and just do it and just get in and get going. Um, you know, um, that, that's how I did it. So when you and, went to this little town of Euclid, there were no other chiropractors there? No. So you yeah. were the first one opened up yeah. your own practice and just took yeah. off. <laughs> they wow. would, they would, they would say, "Dr. Fry, you're like the best chiropractor I've ever been to." And I'd say, "How Who many else have you been to?" <laughs> <have> you been <laughs> to? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's it. They had no comparables. <laughs> so it was, it was neat. So anyway, so when we came to the inside, I started to practice in Nanaimo, and I thought, "All right, you know, I can do this." But there were other chiropractors here. And hmm. I sat and I had some pretty lonely days, mm -hmm. right? You know, well, look at this today. We've got two patients on the books, right? So, I've been there, yeah. You know, uh, oh, oh, good. One called in. Good. Okay. Do I go <laughs> home at lunch? No, I better stay here. You know, all that sort of stuff. But with all that free time, I, I, I began developing – you know, I had to do something else, right? And that's what dawned the, the spine modeling company. Ah, interesting. Okay, so it was just uh, um, some extra energy you had not being able <laughs> to put it into patients. And you, so, what did you start doing? Tinkering with yeah wood. What what was the first material to, to create these disc designs? These disc well, models? there's so at the same time there. Um, because I had extra time, I thought, well, you know, I've got a sort of a research sort of foundation from uh, Western states and then from UBC. So at the same time, I was starting to move with some ideas, clinical ideas that I could move into research as well. So at the same time, um, I'll just go back just a little bit. But at Western states, and I can get into the modeling thing later, but um, the... When I was in Panzer's class, I had come up with this idea of just simply, he was talking about the, you know, this 
you know, the deleterious effects of sustained compression mm-hmm. on irretrievable discs and creep and hysteresis and annular, you know, disruption at the Sharpie's fibers and that sort of thing. You know, I'm just, I'm looking at a sea of students who are all sitting <laughs> and, uh, and I'm like, oh my gosh. Okay. Right. So I thought, well, why don't we just, you know, press our hands down on the mm-hmm. seat and offload our spine periodically. So a little bit of decompression. Yeah. Right. At, at different doses. And I didn't know what dose or how hard or for how long or anything like that. So when I, uh, so, uh, you know, in my excitement, you know, I go up in front of the classes and he's like, Pastor, I think I figured something out. <laughs> and he's like, well, you might have something there, right? You know, but, you know, a little pat on the head, you know, uh. it's like, it, it's, uh, so it was a hypothesis that I wanted to always sort of push and to study. So, when I was in Euclid, I put this into action with people uh, or I prescribed it for people that had pain while sitting. Hmm. And the outcomes very early indicated there was something going on there. And so when I went came to, uh, to Nanaimo, then at the same time when I had all that extra time, I was started to initiate this. Okay, I want to measure this. You know, I want to measure this. I want to see if there's anything that we can do to actually get some data on this so we so i can show and showcase what it what i think is going on right so so yeah so at the same time you know i knew that the discs were dynamic right uh the models that we had were that i had that i bought were static i'm trying to communicate Mm -hmm. these things to patients with static models i couldn't show time time changes over you know load changes over time so then, yeah, I just started to play. I first just cut out a chunk of foam and stuck it in some water and okay. and just put it in between two vertebrae and it would just, you know, it would just leak. And <laughs> and, and I thought, and I I was doing that in the very beginning with, with people, right? I had a little tray and I would sure. dunk it in water and then put it, you know, in between. And I say, you see this, right? And then I'd soak it back up and, you know, and, and you go to sleep and then the height comes up a little bit and, so that's and then so I thought you know I didn't know I, you know this is looking pretty hokey, right? <laughs> it's better than I I would use these um, I don't know if you have them up in Canada but we have these uh, little peanut butter and jelly sandwiches frozen peanut butter and jelly sandwiches that are pressed around the outside so there's no crust they're just squeezed almost like a pie crust <laughs> and they actually work fairly well because you can just tear that outer you know, the outer fibers. And then when you squeeze it, the jelly comes out. Um, so that's what I would resort to, but yeah. And then you eat this super sugary, oh, they're, <laughs> they're pretty disgusting, but tasty. Um, yeah. So we, we resort to so many different things to try to demonstrate yeah. this complex anatomy. So yeah. there's definitely a need to have something more correct, something more, um, you know, accurate and visual. So, yeah. so again, what did you what did you start tinkering with to demonstrate that after the sponge and the mess of the water and? Oh, it got into probably about two years of R and D with different elastomers and different mm-hmm. plastics and stuff like that. Comparing tissues, uh, you know, I you know it was around the mad mad cow, you know, uh, uh, there was a mad cow kind of concern in the media and stuff. This is for prions. I can't remember where that, that was about 2006 mm. or so. Anyways, I'd go to, you know, I'd go to a local butcher shop and I'd say, do you have any like cow spines that I could buy off? And they just look at me like, no, no way <laughs> you weirdo. So, so I found, I went to a, there was a, a hunter, uh, like a butcher kind of like that, that, um, prepares meat for hunters and stuff. And sure, I, yeah. So I went and, and I got um, cadaveric uh, spine specimens from from deer and and other animals, and then I started to compare, right? Like this material, this material, this one, this one, this one, this one, and and um, and then yeah, and then I just just one thing led to the and then I you know then the chiropractor that I was working with at the time, he was like, well you know can I can I have one of those you know mm-hmm. and I was like. 
So I wasn't even really, my intent was just to connect with patients. So you, you know, were just our, building these for yourself. Oh, yeah. You just yeah, wanted something be, better I, in your own practice. Well, I needed something to build my practice because I was, you know, yeah. I, didn't, <laughs> I wanted to really, you know, I wanted to connect and let people know exactly what is, well, not exactly, but as close as we know, you know, um, so, you know, they know what I'm doing, what my intent is, what the diagnosis, the probable diagnosis is you know, all those things, right, in a, in a format that makes sense to them in a dynamic way, you know, like it hurts when I roll over, for example, or when I right. bend over, or when I sit, or, or you know, or when I cough, or, you know, there's all these things in the history that patients are really curious about, you know, where, why does that hurt when, when I do this? So, so, yeah, my intent in the beginning was just to build something so I can connect with what I knew with the patients, in, in an efficient manner. Yeah. You know, today we've got so many new technologies that it seems like would be pretty helpful. You know, 3D printing uh, is a big thing now. And did you ever, ha have you started playing with that? And would you have liked to have that way back then where you could just scan a vertebrae and then make a copy of it? Oh, yeah, that would have been handy. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. But there's, uh, you know... 3D printing is, is um, it's, uh, they've done really well in marketing it in the, you know, everyone talks about it. It's kind of neat. Everyone's got a printer and everyone imagines, mm. oh, can I get something out of that printer over there. But when it comes to production and, you know, there's, there's limited materials, uh, you can't do elastomeric materials, you know, there's, so there's a lot, and, and the resolution is not as good as the, the processes that, that, you know, that, that I use. Right. So it's, it's not cost effective for, uh, it's good for prototyping, you know, right. basic yep. prototyping, but, but when you want to get into production, it's, it's not used. Not good for mass production. So you're, are you still, uh, creating all yours by hand? Yeah. Model? And I just, yeah. Yeah, so talk through that process. What, um, you've got so many different models now, but let's just, you know, for simplicity, talk about, say, the lumbar uh, model. Um, what are the materials that you're using now, and how do you go about that process of, of crafting it with your hands? That's proprietary. Is it? Okay, sure. Yeah. All right, Sec trade secrets you don't want to share. Trade okay. secrets, you bet. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Um, but So you started doing this back around... It was around 2006, you kind of said, where you're starting to get some vertebrae. So, yeah. so from then until now, I mean, what, what have you added? Um, what are the models that you have now for, for people to purchase? Oh, there's a multitude of uh, – so I started with the professional model, which uh, I, I, basically my first model that I ever created – um, and, um, uh, it's, it's from, do you want me, do you want me to talk? Yeah. You want me to yeah, talk yeah. about it? Yeah. Pull one up. If you, for those watching okay. the video here, head yeah. to YouTube, if you're just listening to the podcast, we'll put this on my channel. Um, yeah, I'd love well, to see these and see how you use them to, to educate a patient as well. Full disclosure, right? Of course I'm the, you know, I'm the owner of this company, so I'm not here to really sell models, although it helps, but. I'm, uh, it's more for an educational tool. So, um, these, so this is an L four five segment, right? So we've got, I don't know if you can see here, right? Yeah. Yeah. I can see so that pretty well. This is, we can go back a little bit. This is one of my, this is my first one. And so L four five segment, we got about 12 mils on the front for disc height, 10 on the back. Um, you know, the lordotic angle is, is, incorporated into this model because it's got minimal osteophytosis. So this is like so the specimens that, that I use it are um, chosen for their, for their anatomical bony detail. Right. So then I build from that. So for example, this, you know, you, you wouldn't find with, with the, uh, you know, with the sets this healthy, you're not going to see unlikely going to see disc heights, like this. Sure. Right. So there's kind of a flat and even. So, 
Yeah. So in this one, and so this is my professional model that I'm about to launch a new model. Um, this at the end of this uh, month, so end of February, that actually has a diffuse disc bulge. This one oh, okay. didn't have that. It had more of a a concavity because I wanted to show load changes. But so the reality is that you can see that kind of yeah, press so it goes out a from bit. involuted to you know goes out. But but the reality is in neutral with a disc bulge, and to help patients understand more clearly about what a disc bulge is. I've created this, right? And there's some really unique kind of stuff that's happening into the spinal canal as well because it's um, – I've created a uh, – so this one herniates under load. I don't know if you can see the herniation at all there. But this one will actually extrude. There's an extrusion. Posteriorly? Um, yeah, abutting okay. the descending L5 nerve root. So you could talk about shear stress. I've actually incorporated now um, – uh, Articular cartilage, uh, simulated articular cartilage. So this highland, highland um, uh, polished surface here, and then this here, I've incorporated a little bit of um, uh, fibrillation. So like a little bit of a fissure in the uh, in the facet joint. So now we could talk a little bit more about our patients if we're talking about core stability, stabilization mm -hmm. exercises, that sort of thing, and preventing you know shear translation. So. Um, we can talk about facet pain a little bit more, and we can also talk about, you know, the, the possibility of osteoarthritis development, right? And that's what this stenosis model is here. Okay. More of an advanced stenosis. This has got a thickened ligamentum flavum, and if you you can see also, um, it, there's lots of detail. I don't know if I want to bombard everybody with all that. I could talk like hours about these, right? So, but this year I worked with a neurosurgeon recently, and um, I, you know, I wanted to know what foraminal encroachment was and how does an osteophyte impact foramen, right? So I worked with a surgeon who does live spine surgeries. He's really quite a man, uh, era Duke Majin, Duke Spine Institute. He's a big proponent. He's purchased many of these models, but you can see a little osteophyte projecting off okay. the superior mm -hmm. articular process. Uh, into the the foramen and under extension load, you can actually see the ah uh, yeah it's right and then with, that. that's right in the flexion load the IVF will actually open okay right? yeah so you actually see some these micro movements can make a big difference with regards to pressure or the vasculature around the the sheath around the nerve root that's exiting, right? So now we can quickly, patients will be more compliant. They'll say, oh, I see why I got to do more flexion, flexion type of exercises. Because right, so then I they know that, why they've been forward. They're fe they feel a little bit better or they, they realize why they're maybe unconsciously leaning into that position as well. Exactly. And that's why, you know, when you walk a certain period of time, a disc height comes down very, subtly the you know they're an extension and the mm -hmm. ivf just slowly narrows and then they got to sit right so you can right. show these micro movements now and and patients are like oh okay i, I you know i totally understand that okay okay what do we got to do right so they're they quickly get their their um their symptoms and how it relates to them so now you mentioned the the one model that actually shows uh, the herniation um, yes. coming posterior, and I'm curious. So you've got an undergrad in bio psych, and pain science is this big you know trend right now. A lot of people getting into it, and there's this idea of of kind of a nocebo effect, and I've certainly seen it when patients look at their their x-rays or their MRIs, and they're like, "Oh, that looks really bad. That must be the cause of my pain." Do you see this happening? with a disc model that shows that bulge. Um, and is there anything that doctors can do to, to mitigate that, to, to properly educate that this isn't necessarily a scary thing happening? Yeah, I don't know. I think it really depends on the practitioner. If the practitioner makes things scary, the, it will be scary. If the practitioner provides words of empowerment and, um, you know, encouragement, you know, those sort of things. I, I, this whole nocebo, like I don't practice like that. So I, I have no idea, you know, 
like my world is I, none of my, I, I don't see any of my patients going, Ooh, Oh no. Wow. Uh-huh. I got chronic back pain. Uh, so it's kind of interesting to me. I'd, I'd like to kind of like, what does that look like? Like, what is like, you know, what does it truly look like when there's an engagement between a practitioner? And I'm sure it's all about, you know, go well, ahead. I think again, a, a great example is, is x-rays or I could even, pr- I'll pretend I'll put, I'll try to do yeah. my best to, to imitate yeah. this, but you know, a doctor might say, so you see how here you're on your x-rays, how, you know, this is what a perfect spine looks like and how your curve is almost straight. So that's why it's putting pressure on the bones. And that's why you need to come in three times a week to get that curve restored, right? Or you show that disc herniation and, uh, you know, see how, when you put pressure on us, that bulge comes back and puts pressure on the knee and that's why you've got pain going down to your foot that's why you need to come in every week mr brown to get adjusted i mean it's that subtle and that simple but that type of communication can really cause (laughs) some havoc in the patient's mind yeah but that comes back to the practitioner now you can show you know the herniation and say you know what there's a good chance this is going to regress you know, if you right. manage this properly, you know, the chances are. But this is likely what your pain generator is right now. But you create forecasts like, you know, this is going to change. Tissues adapt, right? And you will get stronger, that sort of thing. So, you know, I was watching you describe, you know, like, you know, you got a, you know, there's perfect lordosis. And then, you know, you're, and I saw your eyes. You're like, well, yours is great. Right. You know, so... You could say, well, yeah, yours has lost its lordosis, but that's a normal part of aging often. So, and it's it's not directly related to poor outcomes necessarily. Um, so, you know, let's not worry about that. But you know, we can we can think about it. Maybe you know, extension exercise may be helpful. So, it really, um, you know, I can't control what how people are going to use the models, unfortunately, right? It's like a car. If you, you know, you got to drive responsibly or you can go around and crash into people and hurt other people. Right. You know, so I was wondering if I, if I needed to create a, you know, before you get one of these, (laughs) you have to take an exam. (laughs) (laughs) But that's, that's just a great contrast. I I appreciate you sharing how you would use that. Um, because there's, there's, it's so different that positive, the positive wording, the positive attitude of it compared to more of the, you know, what you might call a salesman tactic of, of, you know, it's, it's education versus, um, convincing. And so I really appreciate how you go about that. Now, some of these models I've seen on your, on your website actually have a cavitation aspect to it. Yes. Do I have one here? Okay, well, this is a lumbopelvic model. That actually, I don't know if you can, but right? So, yeah. Oh, it's coming through just barely, yeah. Okay. So, yeah, that actually will manipulate, but you could notice it doesn't have a refractory period. So, is that correct? <laughs> right. Probably not. But well, I'm glad you brought this up because I <laughs> wanted to come back to some of the research that you did. Um, you nice mentioned segue. The, <laughs> I'm getting good at this. I really am. <laughs> but uh, so you, so we talked about the chair care, the decompression exercise. So I've got one of your papers here on that, um, where you actually looked using MRI at the changes in the disc. So that's cool. Um, but then you were involved with uh, kind of, to me, what is a bit of a landmark study with Greg Kotchuk about this uh, real-time visualization of a joint cavitation. I mean, I was in my last year of school and I saw this video on all the news sites. Um, so talk about this. So you've mentioned early on, you know, the first chiropractor you went to who said yeah. it's a cavitation, that joint crack is a cavitation. What what the heck is a cavitation and is that really what's going on? Nice one. <laughs> Uh, good question because I had that too. I had that question too. And it was early in 1997, 1997, where I kind of, you know, I just came out of UBC, you know, with a decent foundation, you know, being, you know, objective and that sort of thing. So what, what was it? Right. So, you know, getting through chiropractic, it was always in the back of my mind, right? So I, I remember early on, I was like, gosh, you know, we should be able to observe this phenomenon in nature somewhere. Like, it, is it that unique to the human body that is exclusively 
within synovial joints. Like, so I kind of kept my eye out. And I remember early on, I was just, I had my wetsuit and I stuck a, a, a glass, like, um, like, you know, glasses, right. In, um, in a, in, in the arm of a wetsuit and I was pulling on it and I was sticking it in the bathtub and I was. So like a drinking to, glass. Yeah. Drinking glass. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, drinking glass, right? So there's a you know a flat surface on the bottom of the drinking glass, right? So, anyways, I and so it was really it was curious for me, right, right from the very beginning, right? And so it was a, a study uh, when I was in Panzer's class, Brodeur came out with a pretty good study in '95, um, and I thought that was you know he's pretty that sounds pretty good, but the mechanism was still not described, right? The true mechanism. And there was no, no um, explanation regarding the refractory period. You know, why are there variations of refractory period, you know, within individuals? And And so just to clarify, the refractory period is when you crack a joint, there's a period of time where you can't crack it again. Right. Right. There's been no benchtop model. There's been no real kind of, you know, something to actually help us see that event, that physical event. So, you know, I put it on the back burner. And then I also uh, was trying, there was another study um, that, uh, who was it? Mendel? I don't recall exactly now. But anyways, they cracked a knuckle and there was two sounds. Mm -hmm. It looked like there was two sounds the cracked metacarpal phalangeal joint. And so I started working with UBC to see if I can get things rolling with the study. And, uh, even, yeah, I applied for a research grant, got rejected, that sort of thing. And, uh, so I put it on the back burner. Right. And then in the development of, yeah, one of my models, I was sculpting the, um, the synovial fold in the capsule is trying to reproduce more realism associated with the facet joint. And I polished the hut. So I get cadaveric bone, right? And then I got to create a highland surface or simulated surface. So I, I polished it. And then I had this elastomeric material and I put it up against the elastom- uh, the highland surface, the simulated highland surface. And it, it popped. Huh. And I was like, what was that? So that's funny. <laughs> a bit of a eureka moment. Uh, well, yeah, there was something, right? I thought, okay, could it has, you know, does a degenerative facet joint, degenerative surface, crack too? Does it actually elicit the same audible release? And, you know, I, I was in practice and I saw degenerative joints, you know, that I'd try to manipulate and I was unsuccessful. And I thought, eh, is it me? Is it? the the tissue or you know so i started you know i said you know what this is i think there's there's enough here to investigate right so i wrote a uh hypothesis paper on um and i submitted it and at the same time i contact and that got rejected actually because i I, so that that's okay it's good you know rejections kind of you know it toughen you up a little bit right Mm -hmm. So then I uh, contacted Greg Kotchuk and I said, hey, you know, what do you think about doing a, uh, you know, an investigation on this? Right. And he knew somebody that was quite versed in um, with MRI, like cardiac MRI. And uh, yeah, next thing, next thing we know, I volunteered myself as a subject and away we went. So it was your fingers in the in the study? Yeah. Oh, I was, okay. I was wondering about that. Yeah. So this is a, a 2015 paper and you took, it's kind of like you were talking about with the wetsuit. You're, you had some contraption around the finger that could yeah. pull distraction and yeah. Yeah. took basically, you know, what you call Cine MRI or, or basically an yeah. MRI video. Yeah. Real time. And, right. and, the, and, and the, uh, the resolution is 0.3 seconds. So this is the one question I had about this because, you know, when we're doing video on our phones, it's about 30 frames per second. Um, movies are about 24 frames per second. Um, if you're playing video games, it's 60 or maybe 120 frames per second because you want to see all that detail. I, I'm just curious. Is, is So 3.2 frames per second, 
Is that enough to catch the cavitation or is that what you were looking for? Because that seems pretty low frame rate if you're trying to actually like see the bubble forming and then popping. But what what was the study actually looking for? Well, that's interesting because we, you know, I think there's quite a, well, cavitation by definition is formation of a cavity. Okay. Formation of a cavity simply, right? And we've extrapolated from that thinking that cavitation is a subsequent collapse, but you need cavitation. You need a formation of a cavity Mm -hmm. before it collapses. Right. So Unsworth in 71 believed that it wasn't, it was more of a rant and then a wham, this, this implosion. Right. So that was, which is what what we've been all hanging our hats on regarding cavitation this subsequent implosion by Unsworth, right? So you ask, is it enough to capture cavitation? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Because we saw a formation. Okay. Is there something behind the scenes that are hap- that's happening? Like a, there's, a, there's, a sub- there's a formation and then there's a subsequent collapse that we missed? That's what I'm doing now at UBC. Um, oh, okay. I'm doing a follow-up study on that. And uh, I and the data is being collected right now with the apparatus. I've been able to create a, a, a benchtop model that was published in the Journal of Canadian Chiropractic Association in 2017. Uh, so there's I've moved the the um, the model from a dry right, which is what I believed was kind of happening. But after the Kotchuk study, um, we I. I submersed the model into fluid okay. and I read and I did the event I pulled I pulled a suction cup basically it's a suction cup within fluid and that was when something was revealed mm. yeah interesting yeah. okay so this is the 2017 paper I'm looking at now um yeah what I thought was interesting back to the Kotchuk study was yeah. um you, you know you showed you you cracked these 10 knuckles and on some of them you you maintained the destructive yeah. force yes and you could see that there that it would stay right yeah. am I being correct calling that the cavity that, that you yeah, saw sure. exactly um and again the big kind of the big um reveal of this study was that the noise happened with the formation of that cavity is that right not by not popping the bubble it was yeah when we say pop a bubble we have to be kind of careful with that because popping a bubble is almost like a bubble goes like this then it pops right right so right the it's about the subsequent collapse that follows the formation that we were challenging. Okay. Right. Right. So, so what I'm trying to, um, yeah. I guess understand on this one is where you can yeah. still see that void within the, yes, the it articulation. Remained. That's right. It did not disappear. It remained. It stayed there. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. That was and really then, cool. I mean, this, and, and I think why it was so big was, and this is what kind of, got me going on it because when you say to a patient that you're inducing cavitation and if they go home and they Google cavitation, it's ripping steel off of propellers. Right. And so this comes to that other word that's been used a lot as well, which is tribonucleation. Yes. So, um, so I think what was kind of neat about this study was it was like, okay, well maybe it's not a subsequent collapse. Maybe there's not some sort of inherent, uh, damage that's occurring to the cartilage, that sort of thing. It's likely safer than we thought. Right. Right. The event itself. But then we get into the word tribonucleation. And, um, well, tribo from the Latin roots means rub. And it was Hayward in 1947, 1947, that first described this tribonucleation. He had a slope, like a slope, and he had a metal ball, and he just rolled the metal ball down a slope. As this metal ball traveled along this slope, a nucleation, nucleation is basically synonymous to cavitation. 
because a nu- it's basically it's the same thing a formation of a of a bubble okay right nucleation occurred in behind the bubble as it rolled down so that was the mm-hmm. foundational work behind tribonucleation and since then uh there's been uh studies that show that tribonucleation actually makes noise is pretty like there's some work to be done in that department because it's 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 not as strong as it could be so i i think there's a, something else going on with that event because i don't think we're rubbing things to create noise mm-hmm. right I, I think certainly more, not bone on bone, which is kind of the way back in eighteen late eighteen hundreds what they thought, right? Correct. Interesting. This is really fascinating stuff. I mean, it's uh, I've kind of wondered about it, but man, it's it's amazing to hear how deep you can go, right, in all of these different directions about where's that noise coming from, and um, and why I, do some joints do it mm-hmm. and some others don't? And, and why why is there re- that refractory period as well? And so oh. there's a brief, just a brief phrase that I'd like you to clarify is that some joints, you will get that clicking over and over. Can you yeah. explain the difference between a joint where you can't get it right after and then a joint where you can? Uh, can I explain it? Mm, I don't know. Not yet. Okay. So one <laughs> but, but one thought think, is that it's it's not this idea of a cavitation, but that there's there's tissues that are rubbing on each other. Maybe probably, a, yeah. and I've heard some doctors say this, you know, oh it's a ligament over yeah. the spinous process or you know, hip snapping maybe is the yeah. the psoas tendon. Yeah, yeah. I think those are two different anatomical uh situations. Um and I think we can use that to help us with our diagnosis and treatment as well. So I think if there's if there's refractory, we have to um, at least uh, speculate that it's fluid-based, right? It's going to okay. be a synovial fluid-based structure, I would say, right? Interestingly, in, in this, this, up, this paper in uh, the Journal of Canadian Chiropractic Association, what we did with, um, with the model is if you pulled it, right? If you pulled it, it popped. And if you left it, there's this elastic kind of recoil that it resets after about 20 minutes. But mm-hmm. if you push it, if you sustain a pressure on it, the refractory period can be reduced significantly. Huh. Um, okay. Yeah. So it, it, there, it looks like there's a tension-related uh, question. You know, mm-hmm. maybe that's why we're seeing some variations between individuals. Uh, which, you know, it'd be nice to get actually a pressure sensor right in the synovial joint and do these studies. But um, I think it's I think it relates to, to sort of pressure within the joint and why we're getting these different uh, different um, refractory periods within indivi- or um, between individuals. It's really interesting to see where this is going to go. I think. <sighs> It, it doesn't seem to be like it r- should matter that much, but this idea of what is causing that crack, I think, will settle a lot of minds. And I think, as right. as do a lot of discoveries, open the door to right. more yeah. understanding. That's right. Exactly. Because now we could talk about it as a, as a role of stability, right? The synovial fluid plays a role regarding adhesive stability. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there it is. Once we kind of reveal the mechanism, or you know, hope I can reveal the mechanism, we can talk about it um, and understand the physical principles under in a synovial joint that creates optimal health. Right? Maybe a joint that keeps popping that is you know popping too much. You know, now we've got other things that are happening right yeah so uh, just coming to mind i don't i don't know if this is correct but it could there be something with the viscosity of the fluid i mean uh, uh, you know right, a thicker exactly. fluid has a stronger surface tension which may yeah. have to do with that kind of stability that's so interesting well you're yeah it it it's i always love finding people that just like to dive deep and you're also intriguing in a way because you seem to be you know a tinkerer you love working with your hands you love trying new things with different materials. Um, and I think that's something missing in a lot of ways. Um, just 
not just in the profession, but kind of in our day-to-day lives now. Uh, technology's taken that away a bit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Watch that text neck now. Um, and there's a great TED Talk a while back where there's this whole school called the Tinkering School um, for kids because they wanted to really, uh, you know, build that, uh, cultivate that that ability to come up with different ideas and try new things. Um, yeah. So I love that you're doing that. The product looks great. Um, I look forward to, to trying one out. Where can the listeners learn more about dynamic disc designs, first of all? Uh, you can just type it in, dynamicdiscdesigns.com. And uh, you'll see, you know, we've got a plethora of different models, different conditions. Um, you know, I think just just looking and watching the videos can be very educational. Um, we've got an Instagram page, uh, you know, Dynamic Disc Designs. Please follow us there. Uh, we've got updates coming. So, um, it, it, yeah, you, you type it in Google, you'll you'll find us. All right. I'll have links to this as well in the show notes and the below the YouTube video. And if people want to follow you specifically, uh, where would you like to direct them? Me? Hmm. Don't follow me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> they can look up your uh, practice page, right? Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah. drfryer.ca, right, is my, is my practice. So I practice three days a week. I just dropped in a day, so I'm uh, working three days a week. I just picked up a big contract with a medical company building dynamic knees, so it's going to be very exciting. Oh, very cool. Building meniscus and load and that sort of thing is going to be very exciting. But, yes, you can contact me. You can find me through, um, yeah, i got a Facebook page, Dr. Fryer, chiropractor, uh, drfryer.ca. Or if you want to contact me by email, you can drome at drfryer.ca. All right. And I'll have links to all this below. And I'll also link to these papers that we've discussed because I think they are really interesting, especially if people haven't seen um, the video of the joint cavitation that you did within the MRI. So that's uh, I'll try to embed that as well. Um, you know, again, my target audience is students. I'm curious if you could just leave a couple thoughts of perhaps students who are just about graduating and um, nervous about starting their own practice. Uh, you you did it in a small town, and yeah. then st- students who may be interested in getting into research. What direction would you give them as well? Uh, so, you know, well, the university that I went to, wonderful training. So believe in yourself, right? Um, you know, you don't always necessarily need to, you know, get into an arrangement where you're, you're learning from someone else. Um, I think you can start on your own. I think a lot of people can, you know, a lot of new chiropractors can start on their own and make it happen. Um, it's the best way to learn. Um, regarding research. Uh, yeah, that's a bit more of a challenge to juggle. Uh, but it's all about finding the right collaborators um, that are on the same playing field, you know, at least same interests. Um, you know, I, I have to give a shout out to Jeffrey Kwan. He's been just absolutely an incredible mentor. Another one, Dr. Francis Smith in, in Scotland, uh, clinical radiologist, um, Dr. Panzer. You know, it, it's all about, you know, connecting with just try to improve your, your network and um and don't bug them too much, but <laughs> you, you want to uh, see if you want to try to plant seeds, plant lots of seeds, right? And you might see something starting to sprout. And if you see a sprout, go for it, right? You, it's you always focus. that balance. You've got to bug them just enough, but not yeah, just too make much. <laughs> sure there's, you know, that it's going to raise the bar for them too. Okay. Right. 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 It's it's got to be a win win, right? It's uh, I remember you know I contacted I, I had another paper published um, in the Journal of Circadian Rhythms, and um, I remember I was excited about this publication. Actually, submitted to the Lancet. It was my first paper ever submitted. But I contacted this big researcher, you know, like you know, let's run this study. I think I've discovered something. And he said, Well, what what's in it for me? And I was like. Yeah, I don't know, you know, so <laughs> make, make sure that there's something in it for them too. you know, it, it's important, um, you know, 
It's uh, what is that? Um, the uh, Bobby, maybe what's that? All, all, the, the, all boats rise with the tide, mm-hmm. you know? Right. So, yeah, provide value both ways. Great advice. Well, Dr. Jerome Fryer, Dynamic Disc Designs, thanks so much for taking the time to join me on Exploring Chiropractic. <laughs> great, uh, great conversation. I've really enjoyed it. Well, thanks for having me. It was a pleasure. Thank you for listening to another episode of Exploring Chiropractic with Dr. Jerome Fryer. Now, I wasn't able to squeeze out a discount code for my listeners, but Dr. Fryer did say that if you are a student or a group of students, to contact him to discuss bulk order discounts. Head on over to dynamicdiscdesigns.com and look for the contact page. Once again, please head on over to Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or wherever you listen to this podcast and leave me a review. Send me some feedback at Exploring Cairo on all of the social networks and email me, contact at exploringchiropractic.com if you have suggestions or if you have a recommendation for a guest. I'm looking forward to getting more students, current students, on to discuss their schools, hopefully including um, the first cohort at the Puerto Rico College of Chiropractic. As always, thanks for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode.